How do you pay, man? Huh? If you don't write checks, how do you pay these guys? Straight cash, homie. Well, all right. Yeah. ten grand to me. Yeah. You know, ever since I turned pro in 1989, when I signed the dotted line, it was strange. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the second edition of the Straight Cash Homie Podcast. And hey, I'm shocked. My name is Neil Rule, my broadcast partner here for the Straight Cash Homie Podcast. He is Cam Evans of the Evans Law Group, also a sports agent with Pivotal Sports Management. And Cam, I'm shocked. Number one, that we're back here for a second episode because people enjoyed it. The numbers were really good. I'm really shocked that we're back here doing it again, Cam, but there seems to be a a niche market here. People love talking about money, and that's what we do here on the Straight Cash Homie podcast. We take a look at the financial side of sports, maybe not the most obvious thing uh, that sports fans are going to be involved in, but we're back at it for a second podcast, Cam. It is, and it's great to be back, and uh, it's a great time to be talking about money with the NCAA tournament, um, you know, making its way to the Final Four in this upcoming weekend. Absolutely. March Madness in full swing for the NCAA. We know the teams that are on the court in terms of what the Final Four will be. That is all set after this weekend's action. South Carolina out of the SEC will take on Gonzaga out of the West Coast Conference. Of course, the Blue Blood, North Carolina, they're in there as well, representing the ACC and Oregon out of the Pac-12. Those are the teams, Cam, that are on the court dueling in Phoenix for basketball supremacy. However, financially, in the financial aspects of the NCAA tournament, a lot of that has already been decided. Now, for those who don't know, we'll give a quick crash course into how the NCAA tournament works. And Cam, you're the legal side. Again, uh, very active in the sports law community. You have a very good grasp on how that works. This is big-time money, not only in terms of who's cutting down nets at the Final Four and who ultimately will be the NCAA champion, but this is big time in determining who is going to make the most money, conversely, what conferences are going to make the most money. And as we've done a little bit of research here, Cam, we found that it it doesn't always meet the eye. What, what's obvious isn't always uh, what meets the eye for what goes on with this NCAA tournament. Explain to everyone how, how the unit system works. Yeah, so what happens is, you know, the NCAA, they get about a billion, that's with a B, in revenue um, out of the uh, NCAA tournament. You get media right fees, ticket sales, corporate sponsorships, and obviously they get the broadcast rights. CBS uh, kicking in $900 million just north of that annually. A- annually, and, and, and that's what you got to deal with uh, of how you're going to do it, and this is going to continue. I mean, they just extended uh, through 2032 uh, with CBS and Turner Sports, um, and so you're looking at billions of dollars. Um, and so what they do, they came up with this formula uh, that each game a team plays, that it's converted into what they call a unit, and that unit has a value to it. This year it's going to come out to about $1.67 million per unit, and then the NCAA pays that out over six years in equal installments to the conference that the team comes from. So the more games that a team plays in a year, the greater payout it is to the conference. And that obviously means that the more teams you have in the tournament, the better you are from a revenue standpoint with payments from the NCAA directly to the conferences. And i.e., the further you go, 
meaning the more games you win, the further you go, therefore the more money that is made per unit by these teams for their conferences. Right, and you look at the Final Four participants this year, none of them were in the first four, um, and so they got a, you know, a possibility of a max of five units, and you may scratch your head and say, well, Cam, there's six games. Can't you count? And with the NCAA says we're not. I get that often. (laughs) You know, the NCAA says we're not going to give a unit for the championship game. Um, And so, as a general rule of thumb, you're looking at a potential of five units as the max. Now, if you have a a strange run like a VCU that was in the uh, first four, um, and you have somebody who's an 11 seed um, that goes on and plays in Dayton, then goes on and would actually win in the semifinals and get to play for the championship, they could have six units, which would be this year about $10 million if that dream scenario would come true from a conference's budgetary standpoint. Absolutely. And, Cam, when you look at it, and, again, this is a straight cash homie podcast, Neil Rule and Cam Evans with you, taking a look at the business side of sports, the dollars and cents of it all. And, Cam, when, when you look at this, and this certainly is big business, as everybody knows, and the ACC led the charge in terms of teams getting in and in terms of, more importantly, uh, of winning units right now. As we sit going into Final Four play, the ACC leads the charge with 18 units earned. So at a rough equivalent of about $1.6 million per, e. I mean, these dollars are adding up. There's no question about it. And, look, I'll address the elephant in the room right now, and we can just bring it up and move on. And I took a lot of feedback from the people on social media. We put that out there on our personal social media. You can follow me on Twitter, at Neil Rule. That's N-E-A-L-R-U-H-L. And, Cam, you're on Twitter as well. Correct, at Cameron J. Evans. Absolutely. And so the people wanted to talk about this. How exactly does the financial side of the NCAA tournament work? So the ACC picking up eight units at $1.6 million per. 18 units. Or yeah, I'm sorry, 18, 18 units at $1.6 million per adds up to be, I don't know, a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you're typically looking at historically in the last three or four years is, you know, somewhere between 25 and $30 million to the top performing conference. And, and top performing here does not mean su- success on the court. No. I bet if you would talk to most of our listeners and other people that you're going to run into this weekend at the bar and say, what was the best performing conference, the ACC would probably be listed as the worst performing conference, except when you're sitting here and saying they had the, the greatest amount of teams in, they had the greatest amount of teams – um, you know, play from the standpoint of a you know this unit formula that's created, and they had a team make a deep run in North Carolina. That's right, and um, and you put those all together, um, and you're at 18, and um, you know a lot of chatter. Hey, the Big Ten unexpectedly what a good year it had, and had three people, three teams into the uh, the um, Sweet 16, uh, but they're going to come up short behind the ACC uh, based on a numbers game. Right, absolutely. And the Big Ten, that's where they cost themselves in the whole unit game was, yes, some of them made it into the Sweet 16 that were not expected, Michigan being one of them, Wisconsin another one. But when push came to shove and there was money on the table, the Big Ten came up short. And I would say, though, if if you polled everybody in Big Ten land, given the seedings that they had coming into play, they'll take those 15 units and they'll run. So from a profitability standpoint, the Big Ten probably is very happy with what happened in this year's NCAA tournament, a little bit of an unexpected windfall for them. Yeah, and the windfall, if you look at it, so the money goes from the NCAA directly to the conferences. The NCAA does not direct the conferences how they um, spend that money. They urge the conferences to divide it equally among its members, but it's just, you know, a suggestion. 
and you'll see a difference between the Power Five conferences and the smaller conferences as, as to what, what's done with that. But, you know, from a windfall standpoint, you're looking at the Big Ten, they're going to get less than 10% of the conference, the conference revenue. Less than 10% of the conference's revenue will actually come from the basketball fund because they make so much more money off their other properties. Um, and so from a conference standpoint, it is nice. Um, from a school standpoint, um, you look at the Michigan run. Unexpected, great story. You have the uh, uh, taxi and the taxi issue off the uh, Willow, One Air, Willow Run Airport. And they will have a lot of indirect benefits. Are they going to, you know, alumni and boosters will probably put more money now into the athletic program. Apparel and memorabilia sales will go up. I was at, you know, grocery store late last night. And at the checkout, U of M Sweet 16 T-shirts. And I immediately started thinking about the business side of sports. And here's, <laughs> here's another way you do that, you know. Um, and even, you know, for smaller schools, South Carolina, not a small school, but not a basketball school. Right. But all of a sudden, you look at what's going to happen from their standpoint, from their fan base, from their boosters, from apparel sales, from publicity, their ability now to go and recruit potentially a different player. Um, and also have people, you know, just students who are interested in now, hey, South Carolina, never thought of them. They'll put an application in there. Right, absolutely, because that's shown, that's science. Enrollment goes up as you win in sports, football, basketball, that, that, that's a tried and true formula that always happens. Yeah. And, uh, we'll see it. I think this year, uh, with South Carolina and, you know, Gonzaga, we'll see what happens with them. Um, you know, obviously they've been on the map, um, and, and are, you know, um, unique means, you know, the only one out there. So they're not quite unique, but they're, they're, they're close to it and, and they have a different formula and they've had a lot of good runs and a lot of great seasons, but this time they got over the hump and into the final four. And we'll see what happens from their enrollment and also from their boosters and alumni. Right. And, and obviously, like we talked about, the money will go in the coffers anyway because of a strong NCAA tournament season for the SEC. They're sitting with 16 units right now. They actually out-united the Big Ten, uh, which, which is a little bit surprising given the, the nature. Everyone knows Kentucky and, and to a lesser degree Florida. But you see South Carolina really carrying the mail for the SEC conference. And they have to be very pleased. Now, is it a drop in the bucket compared to, to what football produces for the SEC? Yeah, probably. But but still, again, very large dollars at stake and schools making a ton of money for their conferences. Right. They make a lot of money for the conferences. And even though this is the icing on the cake for the Power Five, um, it's it, they, I mean, they certainly want it. They don't want to say no to it. Sure. You look at, you know, the smaller conferences out there and the smaller conferences, they can have 60 to 70 percent of their conference revenue solely coming from the basketball fund. So whether they have one or two teams in can have a dramatic impact on the revenues that go to that conference. You're listening to Straight Cash Homie Podcast, Neil Rule and Cam Evans. Cam Evans of the Evans Law Group, a sports agent with Pivotal Sports Management. We're talking NCAA tournament and the unit game, funds and games, uh, if you will, because that's what it comes down to. And it's not all that meets the eye when you look at the NCAA tournament. I know everyone likes to fill out the bracket, and that's fun, and you have your pools and everything. Make no mistake, there was big-time money up for grabs as we're discussing the unit system. And you brought up an interesting point, Cam, because the mid-majors of the world, the Horizon Leagues, the NECs, uh, to a lesser degree, the MVC, the Missouri Valley Conference, uh, they're an interesting story. They have been an interesting story over the course of the last couple of years because you look at bubble teams, and a lot of people said, well, Illinois State – by all rights, should have gotten in. And this is where you kind of go into that gray area a little bit when you have a middle-of-the-road Power 5 team and you have a, a highly valued, say, Missouri Valley team, 
like an Illinois State, your conference affiliation can swing whether or not you're going to make the NCAA tournament based on mass numbers. As we said, the ACC had the most teams in the NCAA tournament. And some people will say uh, Syracuse probably should have gotten in as well, which usually you would see Syracuse get the benefit of the doubt. But Illinois State did not get in this year. That cost the MVC a lot of money. The Missouri Valley this year with just two units that Wichita State was able to generate. So again, Illinois State not getting in cost the Missouri Valley roughly about $1.6 million minimum. Minimum, and um, and you look at it, and the way I look at it is, is to flip it because Wichita State ends up with a 10 seed. Mm-hmm. So say Illinois State wins their conference championship. Does Wichita State even get into the NCAA at large? If you're the conference champion and you have the resume that they have and they get you know slated as a 10 seed, I don't think you see Wichita State in the dance unless they win their conference championship. And you know, even with their magical run of, you know, three or four years ago, um, you know, they were, that was putting about $80,000 um, a game into their pocket, the way their conference distributes um, the money up. Um, but this all goes to it. You know, you're sitting at Wichita State now, although they're in a mid-major conference um, in Missouri Valley, they're not a mid-major uh, by any stretch of the imagination no, and, when and you're once, paying the coach. you're paying a coach. Once you get coaches that are making in the neighborhood of a million dollars, you cease becoming a mid-major at that point, in my estimation. Right, and he's getting paid $3 million and, and rightfully so, and they've done a lot, and people know who Wichita State is, and that is, the, that is their moneymaker. And it is a huge moneymaker for the Missouri Valley Conference. Uh, but it also, from the standpoint of understanding that unless you can get into the tournament, um, you're not going to be getting the units. You're not going to be getting all the other exposure, the alumni, the boosters, everything else on the apparel side that we've talked about. They, you're sitting there in your Wichita State, and there's a lot of speculation. Is that, you know, are, they, are they going to be um, recruited themselves to leave the Missouri Valley to head to like the American Athletic Conference uh, or something along those lines? Something like well, Butler did. Right, and if you're the AAC right now, the American Athletic Conference, you're taking a look at what Wichita State did, more importantly what they've done in the past because a bit of a disappointing tournament performance for the American Athletic Conference. They had SMU, they had Cincinnati in there, and I was a believer in in both of those teams, but they fell short. And you look down, and the American Athletic Conference now, with just three units, heck, the Northeastern Conference got two. So the AAC, if you're overlooking at the AAC right now, and you say, hey, we left a lot of money on the table this year, and and let's, let's keep it real around here, Cam, because we're talking about dollars and cents here on the Straight Cash Homie podcast. If you're the AAC, you're going to give a good long look to Wichita State because they can bring you units, and more importantly, they can bring you cash to the party. Exactly, and there's somebody who has the name, the resume, that you do not have to win the AAC as a Wichita State, and now all of a sudden are you looking at having a legitimate argument for three teams in there. And not only does that all of a sudden guarantee you three units, so think of upward of $4.6 million this year. Now, okay, can you get a couple wins? And now you're looking at five units. Right. And all of a sudden you're looking at um, a, a, a revenue stream that was not there or capable for the um, AAC before. Wichita State now says, okay, it's not do or die from the standpoint of a conference championship. We otherwise have a great year and deserve to be in there because strength of schedule will go up, everything you know, everything else it's AAC is the former you know, Big East technically. And um, you, know, you, you look at it and you know, it comes down to a lot of dollars and cents. What makes 
the um, wisest decision from a university standpoint on where their athletic team should be playing. Right, Cam. And you brought up an interesting note to me, and we were talking about the Horizon League, and we're based here. We're just outside the Detroit area. A lot of Horizon League representation in the Detroit area, as well as Big Ten. But the Horizon League found themselves in an interesting spot with their conference championship game down at Joe Louis Arena. You had Milwaukee playing Northern Kentucky. Milwaukee, if they would have won, would have gotten into the NCAA tournament with the worst record in, in the history of the NCAA tournament. And then you had Northern Kentucky. It was a good team. They were, they were a good team in Horizon League play, and they have a lot of things going for them right now, and they're going to be a force in the league sooner rather than later. But if you break it down from a dollars and cents perspective, and, and we saw this play out because Northern Kentucky drew Kentucky, and let's be honest about it. Kentucky's going to win that game. They did. I mean, Northern Kentucky showed well. They did. They, they, they did okay for themselves, but they didn't have a chance to win that basketball game, keeping it real. Would the Horizon League have been better off with Milwaukee winning? Would you be the worst team in the history of the NCAA tournament to get in record-wise? Yeah, yeah, you would. But you know what you also would get? A unit for the play-in, and if you win, you would have gotten another unit. The Northeastern Conference uh, proved this. They picked up two units. If you're the Horizon League, and you mentioned it yourself, you're north of 60% of your operational budget comes from the basketball fund and the NCAA tournament money that you make. The Horizon League missed out on an opportunity by the better team going. Right, and you, and you scratch your head in that situation. Uh, because How does you that knew, work? Right. Well, yeah, because you knew Northern Kentucky was going to be sitting there, you know, 15 uh, seed, mm -hmm. um, and 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 that wasn't even a guarantee. They could have been, a, you know, one of the high 16 seeds. Right. Uh, but probably, you know, they weren't going to get into a 14. And so you're looking at one of those rare 15-2 upsets. Um, but you're, you're you have a much greater chance of playing that playing game against another low ranked 16th seed. Right. Um, to give you a shot to get that second unit because again it's not the number of games you win it's the number of games you play so everybody in that first you know in that first four for the 16 seats you got a smaller conference out there who is going to end up with this year 3.4 as opposed to 1.7 million because they were able to play another 16th seed to get in to get uh, the privilege of trying to become the first 16 you know, seed to beat a one seed right right and you know, it's it's funny to me, too, because just how do you have a system where it benefits you to not put your best team in? And, and that's and that's, a situ that's the exact situation the Horizon League was in. Make, make no mistake about it. That's the situation they were in. And by all rights, it may have cost them $1.8 million to send their better team to the NCAA tournament. Right, and that, and that was a strange situation because you had two of the lower seeds playing for a championship. You know, I think that people would probably say that, you know, if Alec Peters was still healthy and you had Valpo that went or you had Oakland University that they go, who had a chance to go and win a game or two um, at a very high level um, that, you know, in that situation, you're going to probably better off because you're going to get greater exposure for the Horizon League. You're going to help the brand. Um, it's just like you're better off having Wichita State go if you're Missouri Valley than have and have you know them play Illinois State in their conference championship as to have two lower seeds play. But in that situation in the Horizon League where you had two lower seeds playing, you're absolutely correct. Is that the four seed Northern Kentucky? You're probably going to be financially worse off as a conference having them go as opposed to having uh, Milwaukee, um, you know, make its way to the dance. 
And I pose a question on social media. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at Neil Rule, N-E-H, or excuse me, N-E-A-L-R-U-H-L. Cameron Evans here at the Evans Law Group. We're here at the Evans Law Group Studios. He's also a sports agent with Pivotal Sports Management. Open up the question to everybody. And, you know, we're, we're a podcast of the people. We knew that we were going to be talking NCAA tournament right now and March Madness. Uh, Nicholas Handy had a question. He said, I, I want to see the financial effect of small schools the further they make it in the NCAA tournament. I remember seeing it cost Wichita State money back in 2013. Is that common for small teams? And, uh, Nick, the answer to that would be it, it depends on, on how Wichita State, because the further they go, obviously the more money they make for their conference. But once they get that money in, it's up to them what they do with it from that from that point on. Right, it's for the, it, it, for the conference. And so typically what happens in smaller conferences, if you have 60%, 70% of your revenue coming in from the basketball funds, you have operating expenses at the conference level that need to be taken care of. And it's not going to be a direct pass-through like the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big 12, the PAC. Those conferences are using this, and this is, I call it, that's the icing on the cake for them. Their, their costs have been paid. This is pure profit almost, even though they don't make profit in the nonprofit world. Um, this is pure revenue for them that can get passed on. And conferences, even though, as I said before, even though the NCAAs, encourages them to split it equally that's not always the case so you look at the colonial athletic league another small conference that had a great run in george mason uh, a while ago Um, they're not divided equally um, and there are situations where they they will give a disproportionate share to the teams that have generated the revenues and had the success Um, and then you know you look at the situation you know again at the colonial athletic league um where you had the conference commissioner whose salary basically doubled in the two years following George Mason's run. And the commissioner says in, in, the, in, in the conference itself so that it wasn't directly linked. And I have no clue whether it was directly linked or not. But it's uh, peculiar timing. But you look at it, and it, <laughs> and it certainly catches your attention. Um, and, but this is how they need to, you know, the non-revenue-generating sports, the importance of Title IX, um, at all conference levels, uh, this is really important when you get into these smaller conferences, whether you call them mid-majors or not, of you know what type of revenue can they have added, not only for this year, but for the next six years uh, going forward. Because remember, these units are paid out over a six-year time frame. So even though we mentioned Wichita State, are they going to jump? You know, they're still getting paid out of their run, at least the conferences. And if they jump, their units don't follow them. The Missouri Valley would continue to be getting those units based on which is Wichita State's run. Right, and that's interesting that you bring up. I wanted to get that out there as well. Again, you're listening to Straight Cash Homie Podcast. Neil Rule and Cam Evans with you. Butler is a big example of this. We talked about the Horizon League earlier. They made those long runs to the national championship game. So they made the maximum amount of units that you can make. Then they left to go to the to the Big East at the time. Butler gave up all that money that they earned. They gave up all that money because that's the value of going to a conference that's going to put multiple teams in there and be a part of that ACC with 18 units, SEC with 16 units, all the way down the chain. Yes, you leave a lot of money on the table. However, when you're in a league that's going to scoop up $30 million for an NCAA tournament run and chop that up nine ways, and that's going to be coming for a period of six years. It's just dollars and cents to make that move. It, it does, and you do not have to have the perfect conference tournament run to get in. 
Yep. And now all of a sudden, and, and if you are now, you know, you look at Butler. So now Butler, they are, you know, lower in their conference, but because of their strength of schedule, other things that the committee takes into consideration, they're going to get a higher seed than if they're coming out of the Horizon League, if they're coming out of the Missouri Valley, even as champions. And now, you're, again, you're looking at what, obviously, they want success. All these people that are involved in college athletics, they are competitive by nature. They love athletics, and so commissioners, ADs, coaches, whoever it is, they want to succeed because they want to win for winning's sake because they are competitive, as I said, by nature. And now you're looking at it from, you know, you, you couple that with the ability to and not only increase your chances of having another run in the tournament because you can't have a run if you're not there. <laughs> that does help your ability to make a run. Yep, and, then, uh, and, th and, then, and then being able to have a greater revenue share based on the conference that you're in. And that's that's important for facility stake. I mean, this is a completely different day and age when you're out trying to recruit or get corporate sponsorships, um, depending on what kind of facilities you are, you're offering. Absolutely. March Madness in full swing. There's no doubt about it, both on and off the court and also in terms of bank account. The other topic I want to get to today, and again, you're listening to Straight Cash, Homie Podcast, Neil Rule and Cam Evans with you. A story that, Cam, you brought to my attention from the New York Times. Uh, the story is entitled, Shoes, Shirts, You Name It, College Basketball Players Get It, Free. Now, with that being said, here through March Madness, and this always spurs a lot of merchandise sales. There's, there's no doubt about it. Everybody wants to be affiliated. Uh, be at the South Carolina Bookstore today or in the athletic department running their website. Uh, sales are brisk. Uh, I'm sure there's no question about it. And, and this story calls to attention what the shoe companies are doing with these basketball teams. And again, we talked about big money on the court, certainly big money here in the apparel game. Uh, these schools have big-time contracts with these big-time shoe companies, and they're, they rain a lot of gear uh, on these kids. There's no question about it. Now, by law, by NCAA law, not real law, they are allowed to, because they're going to get more gear than they will even know what to do with. Eight T-shirts and six pairs of shorts and five pairs of shoes. I mean, you can only wear one at a time. So they are allowed to give it away to family members. However... They are not allowed to sell it because that becomes a benefit that they would not legally be entitled to per the NCAA rules. But make no mistake about it, these kids are billboards for these shoe companies and for these schools. Well, exactly, and that's why you know you look at the Michigan contract with, with Nike and, and, and the success that that company has. But they do. They want to get as many different colors, styles of the Jumpman shoes that they can get to the kids. So have the kids go and wear them because that's going to drive sales of the Nike brand. And, you know, that's American way. That's the way that that's supposed to be. Now you look at the whole, we'll have a whole nother, um, you know, segment or two about, you know, the college athletes and the restrictions that are put on them from being able, again, from the NCAA's perspective, what is too much um, that we all of a sudden you would lose your eligibility. Uh, either completely or, or, or partially. Um, but that's what they're doing. And you, you look at the corporate advertisement that goes on through the kids, through the apparel, uh, especially this time of year. Uh, it is striking. And, um, you know, U of M, you, know, you go back to them in the Big Ten tournament 
um, you know, wearing, I'm sure the sales of U of M practice jerseys now all of a sudden, if you go to their website, I bet all of a sudden that they're on there. Right. And that the sales are brisk because it became something that was associated with a fantastic story because the, the kids persevered. They went through a tra- They went through a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. Won't call it a tragedy, but that's scary. What they had to do. And then they went out there and they performed on the court. Um, if they lose that first game, it's not quite the story. You yeah. know, so it's generated because the kids went out there and did what they were supposed to do. And that wasn't necessarily what they're supposed to do, but they, they played and they won on the court and it created a thing. But they're not going to be making the money off of that. That's going to go into, you know, the U of M coffers. No, no question about that. And, and Cam, this brings me to one other thing here as we begin to wrap up the Straight Cash Homie podcast. Uh, Trill Gunderson on Twitter uh, tweeted at me when I was asking the people what they want to talk about here on the Straight Cash Homie podcast. And his tweet was to the effect of, how do you see the sustainability of the Olympic model for the NCAA, given the numbers that we're talking about here, both on the court and off the court? The apparel deal that Michigan has with Nike could be as could be worth as much as $174 million through 2031. In your opinion, seeing the way that this has played out and the way it's continuing to play out, how sustainable is this Olympic model for collegiate sports, more importantly the NCAA? Well, the NCAA is going to revisit the situation of allowing uh, country Olympic committees to award money based on gold, silver, and bronze, even to college athletes in the United States colleges, uh, without violating their definition of what an amateur is. And that's what it all gets back to. What does The NCAA says this is what we believe an amateur is. Today. Exactly. And it's like, you know, you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. You know, you're either have your amateur status or you've lost your amateur status. And they have a lot of discretion in deciding what is acceptable without jeopardizing an athlete's eligibility and what's not. And so currently, you know, they have the situation that happened in the past Olympics uh, where you had a swimmer from Singapore and won a gold. And on a Singapore's, you know, metal program for that country he got paid a quarter million dollars seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars and he has his eligibility mm-hmm. you have other people who will take a, you know sell something for a hundred and fifty thousand a hundred and fifty dollars that they're not supposed to or take some small benefit and that clearly violates the ncaa's definition in that situation and they'll lose their eligibility or they'll lose partial eligibility and so the the NCAA, I think, will look at it to make sure that you you don't have a situation where you have somebody who's making a lot of money off their success in the Olympics. But it also is 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 to drive because you look at you know, uh, um, Luckety the swimmer who had such a great great summer games down in Brazil. Mm-hmm. She's a freshman at Stanford, and I believe she put in either 120 or 130 thousand dollars in her pocket out of the Olympic committees. Metal program. Metal fund, yep. yeah. It's a metal fund. That's what it is. You and, call it a program, but okay. it's a fund. It's no a doubt fund. About it. It's a fund, and the NCAA says that's okay. But y- y- she couldn't be out there benefiting from um, her likeness, selling her likeness, and that would violate the NCAA regs. But in that situation, yeah, put $100,000 in your pocket, and you can be a freshman and still have your eligibility and go swim for Stanford. So that certainly is something that's got to be looked at. Um, and, again, they'll look at it uh, from a lot of different perspectives, but one of them will be what's go- how, whatever the rule change is going to be, how is it going to affect the perception of the NCAA, affect the perception of college athletics as being somewhat of an amateur sport, 
um, and ultimately affecting what is going to be the impact, if any, on the bottom line in the NCAA as you look at the revenues that are again generated this year for the March Madness of almost a billion dollars. Absolutely. I'm still waiting for uh, for our share here, Cam. I, I don't know. I, I'm waiting in the mail. The check's in the mail, right? <laughs> Something like that. Since I have absolutely nothing to do with it, at least you add to it with your broadcast, I'm not expecting anything yeah, all right. except well, pure enjoyment. <laughs> absolutely. Well, Cam, uh, next month we have the NFL draft coming up. And I uh, can't wait to get your take on that. Also, you being a sports agent of Pivotal Sports Management, uh, I know that you'll have a lot to say about that. I'll have a lot to say, and, and that'll be the next big thing that's coming down the pipe. The time goes by fast, man. It really does. Uh, as always, a big thank you, Cam. I appreciate your knowledge and uh, sharing some of it with us here on the Straight Cash Homie Podcast. Always my pleasure. Look forward to the next one. You can follow us on iTunes. We'll also have it up on SoundCloud, the Straight Cash Homie Podcast. For Cam Evans, I'm Neil Rule. Thank you for listening, everybody. Well, see you later.